0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Analyst Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Shrout, Principal Analyst at Shrout Research, joined by Patrick Moorhead, Principal Analyst at More Insights and Strategy. Patrick, we have now gone through the opening day of the NVIDIA GPU Technology Conference in a two and a two-and-a-half-hour keynote. Are you ready to talk about some NVIDIA topics? I am. I needed
1: to take a, a quick nap first and get some <laughs> coffee. And it was actually... Two hours and 36 minutes, which could potentially be uh, a new record for a Jensen keynote. But the incredible part is a few hours later, we both saw him in Q&A, and he looked like he was just starting the day.
0: He was chipper. He was active, uh, joking with the crowd. Uh, And apparently this was like his third Q&A in a row. He did he did press and then he did financial analysts and then he did technology analysts and was still ready to go. And again, you know, had to have some some PR handlers kind of say, "Okay, no, we're done. Come on. You've got to go to another thing. And he was off to uh, at least attend, if not host some award show. Um, (laughs) Well, don't you do... That's the way I spend every day, too. I get up, I do a keynote in front of thousands of people, I do some questions and answering with people who control financial markets, and then uh, I go host an award show.
1: Yeah, so let's jump right in here. Yep. And, gosh, we're going to talk about uh, four, five, maybe six big announcements that were here. But let's kick off with something that didn't come up in the keynote, but there was a press release that came out of it. It's essentially... Uh, NVIDIA AI integration into ARM Trillium. So for anybody who's uh, counting, uh, Trillium is ARM's uh, framework and architecture for their artificial intelligence uh, capabilities. And not only does it include a heterogeneous framework between uh, CPU and GPU and even DSP, it also incorporates ARM, ARM's own um, machine learning accelerator And also, it incorporates others, and this is where uh, NVIDIA NVDLA comes in. Essentially, the way that I look at this is getting NVIDIA machine learning inference uh, into smaller devices. And I'm thinking IoT devices, like uh, a smart monitor or a smart clock. Mm -hmm. Something that NVIDIA on their own wouldn't really be addressing. Uh, potentially, we might even see them make another appearance in smartphones. Uh, what do you make that of this be, announcement? That would be
0: pretty crazy. Um, I find it interesting because because you're right. They, Nvidia, had kind of abandoned or walked away from the small device uh, idea, right? You know, they they did the smartphone play, it didn't really work out for them. Um, they were in tablets for a while, didn't really work out for them. Uh, they still have the SHIELD project around, but they had they have moved on to the exact opposite of that, which is the data center supercomputer mentality. Uh, but they still have a lot of expertise in this area that they can incorporate with a partner like ARM that is, you know, clearly defined as as targeting that small low-power market.
1: Yeah, to me, um, I'm gonna wait to see some of the details uh, that come out exactly how this fits in, maybe some architectural diagrams, but at some point this thing needs to be pulled into Trillium, and I'm I'm sure it's more complex than just uh, writing to the Trillium uh, APIs.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I think it I think it'll be interesting and to see what what kind of benefits this integration brings to the mobile form factor uh, uh, for inference. The another uh, topic that we have here is interesting and topical, Drive Constellation. Uh, This is an NVIDIA-provided simulation for autonomous driving, or I guess it can be applied to many different things. Um, But with their background in gaming and, and movie production, they basically are building the tools to create virtualized worlds with which you can then train other you know, robots or cars or anything else for that matter, anything that uses a neural network or has any kind of artificial intelligence integrated into it. Um, it. It it's really interesting because when I saw when I first saw the the presentation this morning, it the pictures were rendered well enough that I kind of had to look a couple of times to see if this was a real thing that they were simulating out on the road or if this was something they were doing in in uh, in a computer. And the idea of having two different servers next to each other on a rack, or maybe not, right? It can be separated by whatever. Uh, but one of them creating the world, which with the second computer is being trained in, is kind of a surreal topic when you think about it.
1: It really is. It's it's so Inception-like. And uh, my son plays uh, GTA Five a lot, and yeah. I couldn't help but to think, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm hoping uh, that this wasn't trained by, you know, a professional GTA Five player. So you might run into some issues. But But yeah, the the surface uh, and texture of the ground looked cool. Mm -hmm. They flipped one button and you went from daylight uh, to night and I saw effects like solar flare, a lot of reflections that could potentially muck with your self-driving optical systems, Mm -hmm. right? So yeah, this is cool and essentially uh, I, I think uh, Jensen said on stage, it would take 10,000 servers to be able to uh, mimic uh, an entire uh, country, uh, U.S. drivers, uh, to get to that uh, 3 billion uh, mile mark. It's, oh, it's sorry, tens of billions.
0: Yeah. Yes. It, it, was, it was an interesting statistical presentation of, uh, I think it was 770 accidents per billion miles driven, which... Which I would have guessed would have been a much higher number, uh, but based on their statistics, they're basically saying, no matter how many test cars you put out there, whether you put a hundred or uh, you know a thousand, it will take too long for you to gather enough data to ac- accurately represent even the majority of situations that a, a typical driver might encounter, and you need that information and that data if you're going to properly train uh, a neural network. Uh, or an AI system to drive a car that can that can handle and and be tested against all of these numerous things, and it's it's always interesting to think about. You know, we we uh, I, I'm sure you do. I often complain about idiot drivers on the road, but when you think about it, the amount of intelligence that the average driver has is pretty substantial, and how they can adapt and how they can shift and change and move on, on demand. Uh, and this 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 drive uh, system allows NVIDIA. For their own internal testing, but also potentially to offer as a for-profit, you know, uh, uh, capability to other systems. Hey, you're developing your own. Uh, you're, you're developing a car with your sensors, uh, with with you know our technology in it. Well, hey, you, we'll let you pay, and you can rent the capability with which to evaluate that in simulation and and have access to all that data. I think it's. It's it's both intelligent in terms of safety, which is obviously in the news and in the topics recently, but it's also just it's intelligent in terms of time and uh, utilization of resources.
1: Yeah, the only thing that – the final thing I want to add is, is this still is governed by the rules of garbage in, garbage out. And mm-hmm. if the algorithms of the type of rubber and the type of surface and the type of weather yeah. and the temperature and the humidity – those things aren't exactly perfect, and it's not doing the right calculations, then you're going to be training something for garbage. So that's true. Uh, that is the one thing that real drivers out there, uh, in a way, have the advantage of. But back to your point, there's no possible way to train this many systems with this many cars in a short enough period of time. Yeah. So, this is a, a great alternative. Uh, and I'd even go a step further. Uh, the, the The fallback are humans in in terms of training, mm-hmm. and the leading edge would be a system like this. It's essentially a giant sim.
0: yeah. yeah. and once and once we can iterate on that even quicker, faster, and you can do you know a hundred thousand cars driving twenty four hours a day, maybe you can accelerate the time, right? You don't have to do this in real time. that's exactly what I'm expecting
1: next time is when we see the stage, it's going to go five times faster or 10 times faster. Yeah. You know, I just trained an entire system uh, of a person driving an entire lifetime uh, in a week. Oh, now it's a day.
0: Oh, now it's 10 minutes. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was interesting for as long as we were there and as many things that were discussed and talked about, there was no... New silicon discussed. I guess there was they they kind of put on the roadmap a, a technology called Orin, which was the uh, uh, which would be the future adaption of Pegasus. But nothing new was announced as available or uh, for availability in any kind of immediate time frame. Uh, so no new GPUs, no not even any roadmaps of what the future architectures were going to be. The only real I don't want to say the only product announcement, but a product announcement that we saw was the Quadro GV one hundred which is the Volta, the same kind of big Volta GPU that we've seen in products for a year now. Uh, First in Tesla branded stuff, then we saw the Titan V. Uh, Now we're getting the Quadro variant, which is the kind of professional level. This is, I think it's a $89.99 retail price graphics card. Display outputs, you know, meant to be in a workstation. Um, This is... This is as close as we're getting to to consumerizing this architecture, so I think there'll be some people disappointed in that. But with that, they you know they did announce last week at GDC the the NVIDIA RTX, which is their ray tracing capability. Uh, I know from talking with them that this combines some software tools that they've built. This combines some hardware capabilities that they've built. Although they're being very cagey about what hardware capabilities are leading to the performance or capabilities that they're they're making claims of. Um, I know one of the things they're doing with any, so RTX is a, is a ray tracing capability. The idea is to bring real-time ray tracing or close to real-time ray tracing to games, to visualizing uh, for 3D rendering applications for developers, designers, all kinds of things. And obviously ray tracing is kind of that pinnacle of, of modern graphics rendering that we've never really been able to hit, but we've been talking about for at least a decade.
1: When I first saw the ray tracer that he started off with, which was which was essentially a, a table with a bunch of objects on it, yeah. and Jensen went through that, I was thinking, my gosh, I feel like I've been here before. Is this really the time that it's going to become uh, a reality? And I even remember some sitting through some of uh, 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 ATI Radeon, which then became AMD Radeon presentations, mm-hmm. where I felt like I saw a very similar... Ray tracing uh, uh, a demonstration. So, I think just by the fact that it's a Quadro, uh, yep. says that it's it's going to be super super high end. Yep. And the one thing, which by the way, was a very cool demo that had stormtroopers kind of funny in an elevator uh, where they you know ended up being banished uh, on snowy hoth. Yep. Was that we never saw any human uh, figures in there.
0: Yeah, not an and- accident.
1: And right, because ray tracing really does well on kind of plastic, plastic objects, reflections, uh, water, glass. It, it's it's amazing at, at those types of things. And I was wondering about how you add uh, skin and and human or oh, yeah. animal or mammal type uh, objects. Is that an issue? Was that planned or? or or by
0: coincidence or something else. It's not a coincidence that that, I mean, first of all, it's Star Wars. It's great to have that kind of associated with your demo, but yes, um, having to render skin tones is incredibly difficult if you want it to look real. uh, Hair incredibly difficult. You want it to look real, flowing a fabric incredibly difficult. Well, and I don't think so it's ray tracing Storm- either, right? Well, it, regardless of what the rendering technique is, but ray tracing adds more complexity to it uh, to anything. If you're doing like a global ray tracing uh, uh, rendering path, so it's it's it it makes sense for them to have done what they did because it's it's hard rigid structures. It is uh very shiny structures like captain phasma because you get a lot of chances to show off the re- reflectivity uh that, that ray tracing offers um one thing that that was interesting is although they wouldn't talk all about the details of what makes this better right we i think we talked about windows ml a little bit in the last episode where you know microsoft is is making ray tracing uh api for windows and for gaming and for application usage the the, the capability in the Volta GPU that separates it from Pascal that allows it to run ray tracing faster is this AI denoising capability, which basically is effectively lets the Volta GPU render uh, more rays quicker effectively, even though it's not actually the denoising that happens on the tensor cores Hence, the AI part of it um, allows the image quality to look as if you had, you know, cast three times or four times as many rays as uh, you actually did. So that's why it gives them advantage on a Volta GPU over previous generations of their own or whatever AMD has out as well. Um, so it's it's an interesting combination of hardware software integrations that they've that they've really put into that. Um, but again, nine thousand dollar card. Uh, meant for developers you know they're they're, they're billing it as a two card setup you can connect two of these in a system with an NV link kind of like you would with an nvidia sli bridge um, which which adds a lot of capability to that as well and then they also talked about um, kind of their deep learning platform improvements essentially doubling the memory capacity from 16 gigs to 32 gigs on um, Tesla View 100 and um, uh, the, all, all the Volta cars that they're using for for deep learning in that regard, so it reduces the number of times you've got to go out to main memory if you have large data sets. Obviously, that's important. And then they introduced NV Switch, which is this. This kind of shocked me that that they would build a two billion transistor essentially bandwidth switch, not a PCIe switch, but a, a switch for an interconnect um, that is, is basically, it, it leads them to be able to make claims of the world's biggest GPU and stuff because they, they feel like they're connecting these parts in a way that has not been physically possible prior.
1: Yeah, so what they're, what they're trying to do is get around, um, anytime you have to go from GPU up uh, memory to system memory, you're introducing latency and and decreased speed. And if you can keep all of the data up there, so effectively 16 times 32 gig cards, Mm -hmm. and if you can keep it up there and you can have every one of those cards to be able to address everybody else's memory, you're essentially keeping everything on the GPU cluster and not having to go over uh, uh, like a PCIe bus right right so it's not only allowing you to gang these together it's also giving you the ability to see each other's cards memory which you know it's funny uh, the same challenge that harkens back to uh, the HSA foundation and and this you know the issue of of coherency which which yep. again it, it always seems to come back to to the same uh, same issue so not only did they pack uh, 32 gigs in every card, doubling it. They also doubled the amount of cards right. that you could put from 8 to 16. Yep. So, again, I don't, you know, I, I'm less hung up that they brought out a new piece of silicon or they didn't. Uh, I like that they're addressing increased performance through platforms. Now, mm-hmm. not helping you with power, right, because the power is going through the roof, uh, on this it's scaling actually with power mm-hmm. but sure. uh they are driving uh, a heck of a lot of performance here
0: yeah for the for the gearheads out there that are interested NV switch they call it an on-node switch architecture so it has supports 16 connected GPUs uh, all of them have the ability to connect, to connect to communicate with every individual other GPU at up to 300 gigabytes per second each you know getting into some uh, just astounding peak theoretical uh, uh memory capacity through this switch um it's you know 10x the bandwidth of PCI gen 3 right and this is what allows them to scale in the ai side the way that they want to scale right keep in mind that you know the system we'll talk about in a second only has two processors in it and has 16 of these volta graphics cards in it for sure which which leads us into that talk so they announced the successor to the DGX1, the DGX2, which NVIDIA bills as, what Jensen billed as, the quote, world's largest GPU. And uh, I think we both have a little bit of a, a problem with that nomenclature you know, for whatever it is, uh, it is not a GPU. It is a collection of 16 GPUs. DGX2 uh, is is essentially a a rack mount server, a very large, very heavy, 350-pound server that costs, what was it, $399,000?
1: That's right, a mere $399,000. And, you know, it has, uh, you know, eight 100-gig E-links, two Xeon Platinums, 1.5 terabytes of system memory, even has a PCIe switch complex, and 30 terabytes of NVMe SSD. So yeah, it's basically a supercharged rack server. Now, the purists I know say, wait a second, this isn't a GPU. Uh, I have a sense that I know where this is coming from, and this is the chronic comparison of Google's TPU Hmm. Uh, which get it, gets expressed as a TPU versus a GPU. And when you look at the TPU architecture, you're ganging together multiple chips with multiple high-frequency uh, mesh network. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, I think this is playing a little bit to, okay, I, I take your TPU and I raise you with my new world's largest GPU ever created.
0: Sure, <laughs> sure.
1: I don't sound convinced, do I? Well, and I'm not trying to convince
0: you. Right. I'm just uh,
1: describing where I think this came
0: from. That's, I mean, yeah, that's fine. But I mean, so what? What prevents AMD from taking uh, that epic? What was the project forty-seven? Right, right. Is that the world's largest GPU? Actually, then. Well, actually, I think it was twelve feet tall.
1: It looked like in the picture. So big. it actually might be the largest. Weighs
0: more than three hundred fifty pounds. I bet. <laughs> right. So D- DGX2 is basically the uh, – uh, it, it's a single box unit that NVIDIA sells, which I remember when they first started doing this how, how kind of crazy it was that NVIDIA was going to essentially sell systems um, to these AI – development houses or, or customers that can actually utilize it, I think they will probably be the biggest customer of these for their own internal purposes, developing their own uh, networks and, and training their own AI systems for drive or robotics or whatever it happens to be. I mean, this is all about bending the
1: curve of, of speed, you know, because the finality was, hey, we've gone up 500X in five years. Right. That's a heck of a lot better than Moore's Law, Right. And part of that is 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 compressing time for every part of what the natural market would do. Mm-hmm. Be- before Nvidia got into doing boxes, they they were just doing the cards, and then they started doing PCBs, and then they started doing closures, and now they have literally a complete system. and And to me, I just take that as 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 time to market uh, rather than even a revenue play for them. Right. They want to keep punching this forward and not not to have to not to have to wait on anybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: directly working with the ODMs very similar to what the uh Super 7 uh cloud guys do.
0: So uh when do we get our review unit to that? Do you think? Gosh, I don't know, but uh my forklift is broken, so maybe I can borrow <laughs> yours. Oh man. Um, there was there were so there was a quote from Jensen in a Q and a session that I wanted to bring up here and and get some thoughts on uh he said and i'll and I'll paraphrase here a, a little bit that um in in markets where they play, they have ninety percent of revenue share and approximately a hundred percent profit share now it's an interesting quote. Because you, I, I think we have to qualify then what he's claiming the markets that they are players in, right? Because if you just look at data center as a whole, clearly Intel is still going to be right. the leader there. But if you're looking at data center GPUs, I think he's probably right. If you look at add-in cards in general, they might be right. right? If you look at Quadro, Tesla, uh, GeForce, all of that stuff added add add together, they probably have ninety percent rev share is there any is there anything to read into those comments that that maybe he he's trying to make some statement about their their placement in all of this or is this simply you know a a slightly braggart comment about how successful they have been over the last yeah so I, i didn't hear the exact
1: context but he likely got a a A question about growth in certain areas and why he's investing in so many other areas yeah like automotive as an example and 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 i think there's a little bit of chest beating uh beating uh, going on um i'm sure uh nvidia's lawyers don't don't like that sure uh for, for for obvious reasons but it, it is, seems very plausible to me that they do have 90% uh, revenue share. 100% profit share seems a heck of a lot uh, rich. That would mean that AMD is making no money anywhere in, in discrete graphics cards. And I, right. I find that hard to imagine. I would imagine. agree. Uh, uh, particularly when I look at AMD's workstation lineup. Uh, they have to be making money there. Uh, mm-hmm. Consumer with HBM, maybe not. Right, I mean, HPM is astronomically high, um, and NVIDIA is only using it in those three thousand dollar plus cards. Exactly. So, uh, but NVIDIA is very successful in in discrete graphics cards for sure.
0: They also, in in the keynote, we'll kind of wrap up what they discussed there. Uh, he talked a little bit about some some medical imaging work that they were doing, AI based um, uh, medical imaging. It was this was. Honestly, in my, in my view, as I've gotten older and had a family and all this, like, I, I find that more inspiring and more interesting than you know, ray tracing or, or autonomous driving necessarily. It's harder to demonstrate and it's harder to, to discuss the potential impact for it. Uh, but talking about taking, the most interesting thing was, was not that they w- were building new tools for people to take better uh, you know, uh, angiograms of your heart. They're like, hey, if you have an existing 15-year-old device yeah. that is presenting data the same way it did 15 years ago, we can now take that data stream, uh, add AI algorithms to it, and create 3D models out of what, you know, your left ventricle of your heart is producing. We can create volumes. We can estimate what the input-output flow of that valve is. Um, and that, to me, is probably the most powerful thing. I don't, I don't know how far along they are in the development of it because they didn't talk about it a whole lot. They didn't have a big press release on it type of thing. Uh, but it, to me... That's probably the the most. That's probably the area that will have the most impact on society. Maybe if you take autonomous driving, because clearly that would as well.
1: Yeah, and the irony about that make giving the biggest impact on you, and they're not uh, being kind of a press release uh, uh, on that, kind of yeah. lead me to mistakenly or accurately think that hey, maybe this was a reaction to Intel's healthcare. Uh, event that they had, where they had close to twenty nine partners on stage saying they were using Xeon uh, to do mm-hmm. uh, uh, to do their their, their AI. But I, I'm with you. The notion of using older data and not having to update all of these machines is fascinating. Yeah, to me, uh, particularly being able to model the heart and and see uh, what's in there. If you think about what this could mean for even you know, second world countries uh, that have this that won't update some of these um, tools for decades. Uh, it could really uh, save some lives. Agreed.
0: Uh, all right. The last thing I want to talk about as we kind of wrap up our our session here is that uh, any rumors or discussion about consumer updates did not surface. Right? There's there was Nothing. no new GeForce product. There was no new silicon. There was no, oh, hey, we're bringing Volta down to consumer-level prices. Um, and I, I kind of jokingly tweeted during uh, during the keynote when they announced the price of the DGX2 at $399,000. $399, <laughs> I said, it, I said if, if, if gamers were curious why perhaps NVIDIA has not spent a lot of time emphasizing the $399 video card market, see this $399,000 product that they released... Uh, and and understand the difference of the targets that they they have shifted to. Do you think they are are, are behind schedule here? Do you think not not like roadmap wise, but should they hit, start talking about this at this point? Do they risk alienating anybody or or any markets? So if I look at the last time, nine
1: months ago, is when they made their last big announcement, and and I think that. They have a comfortable lead right now. Um, and I don't think that they have to make some huge moves. In fact, um, they're probably looking for resources to double down uh, on the data center side. So I, I think it's a combination of they probably don't feel like they need to do anything. Yeah. And it's also hasn't even been a year since the last time uh, uh, even Volta came out.
0: Yeah, it hasn't been a year, but they've never released Volta for for consumers, right? So the last consu- – it's almost been – well, we're coming up on two years for consumer architecture release. Oh, with Pascal. Yeah. Okay. And the GTX 1080 Ti has come out since then. Uh, it's more recent. But again, it was just a kind of a bigger chip version uh, of what that is. So I, I was a little I – w- I w- I'm not surprised – that they didn't talk anything about consumer because this isn't really a consumer-facing um, uh, show. But last week would have been GDC would have been a consumer-facing show. Um, but based on all my conversations with everybody I had been talking about, I did not expect there to be mm-hmm. any new product either. So, do you think that that consumers will be disappointed? Oh, I mean clearly yes they're, they're absolutely disappointed people have been waiting for something new for a while but they've also been waiting for the cryptocurrency market to die so that they can even buy gpus so uh tentatively we may be on the edge of that actually occurring you know bitcoin pricing and altcoin pricing has been very very low uh we've started to see uh Resale of cards on eBay. We've seen cards in stock at Best Buy and some other online retailers as well So there may be light at the end of that tunnel uh, And it may be that both AMD and Nvidia were kind of waiting for that light to appear before they even started to make plans about What that next generation of cards might look like or how they might plan it or how they might release it uh, so if you were but if you if you came to, if you came to watch the two and a half hour two hour and 36 minute Keynote, hoping there'd be a a one last thing at the end about a Volta or a Turing or whatever consumer graphics card. It did not happen. And, uh, uh, sorry, sorry to disappoint everybody, I guess in that regard. So is there, is there anything else that, that stood out to you today or that maybe you want to look into more over the next day or two here at the conference? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm interested in looking at, uh, some of Nvidia's partners,
1: uh, so, for instance, in the data center, it's one thing to have an enclosed box, but what's it talking to externally? Mm-hmm. And uh, I met with um, um, Pure Storage, who actually brought out uh, an optimized storage solution to work with DGX systems. Because the, huh. the, inter- the interesting part is uh, the, more re- the more memory they put on the cards – the more storage you're going to need, which is going to bust out of your your rack,
0: hmm.
1: um, and you're going to need some external storage. So, uh, I'm interested in talking to uh, complementers in
0: uh, in NVIDIA's uh, uh, ecosystem. I yeah I think I'm going to uh, pester some more people at Video, try to get information about hey what's going on with the next architecture whether it be for gaming whether it be for you know Tesla cards for for deep learning whatever it is you know no new silicon here is a little bit of a disappointment no new roadmap for silicon is a little bit of a disappointment for me um, it, they're they're clearly scaling performance but by going wide not you know tall like they're they're adding more GPUs not mm-hmm. adding new different GPUs um, and and, and Ask them again. How long can you do that for? Right? They they did talk about in our Q and A session about NVLink that you could go higher than sixteen GPUs if you wanted to. There's really no fundamental limit to it. There's just a functional limit of how many can you foot into a server.
1: Well, I think the next reliably. big bump has to has to align with what TSMC or Global Foundries or Samsung is doing, right? I yeah. Because I just can't imagine getting archi- an architectural advantage. Um, you know, beyond 15% bump. And then you're really going to require the, uh, a process improvement to get you there.
0: Yeah, it seems that way. It seems that way for sure. All right, everybody. I think that's going to be it. I, that's uh, that's plenty of NVIDIA news to get you through to the next uh, the next time we talk about them. Again, um, if you want to find other episodes of the show, you can find them at thetechanalysts.com or you can go to iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcast from and, and search for The Tech Analysts. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ryan Shrout. Patrick is at Patrick Moorhead. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Thanks. <laughs>